in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this mother Can you give us your view as to whether or not there is a housing bubble out there? Well, unquestionably, housing prices are up quite a bit. I think it's important to note that uh, fundamentals are also very strong. Very strong. What? Listen now. Oh, Mr. Chan. How's it going, my man? Ricky, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, you know, in the midst of everything that's going on around the world, but I'm doing okay. I can't complain. How about you? Ricky, I'm doing good. It's been a really long... It does, I feel like it's been a long time since we've done a podcast, right? And a lot is going on in the world, and unfortunately today uh, there was yet another terrorist attack, it seems like, in, in Europe, and, you know, condolences to... Uh, people who were affected by this and you know I sent a bunch of messages to, to my friends in Europe just trying to tell them to be vigilant and be careful but uh, you know it seems like the world is becoming less and less stable but the stock markets keep going higher that is indeed true I mean if you look at the equity markets today the Nasdaq was up five up to five thousand one hundred point sixteen. I mean I don't remember the last time I saw that is that a record high it could potentially be I mean no it's very close to a record high it's not a record high but very close to a record high and also you got the Dow Jones doing as well I mean today was up 0.29% you know yesterday Thursday we saw something interesting I remember you and I were talking about it was that we saw the Dow have its worst day since uh, the Brexit event but today the markets you know, did not find or continue that pattern. They were like, mm-hmm. no, we're going to keep on going up, yeah. which is indeed very interesting. We keep on seeing just an increase in political uncertainty. We see actually, if you look at a David Stockman article, which I recommend people to check out, we'll put in the links below, uh, that there's been a net short position. In essence, people are actually taking money out of uh, the equity. I mean, U.S. equity funds are pulling out a lot of money. There's a great chart that I wish people could um, see right now, but the question is, like, who is buying all of this, you know, Mr. Chan? <laughs> the algorithms. I, I mean, beyond just the equity flows and, and into those funds, just look at the volume, right? This volume has been completely anemic in this dead cat bounce since Brexit, uh, right? You know, NASDAQ being up five, almost six percent, Dow Jones up four and a half, S&P four and a quarter, I mean, since before Brexit. I mean, if you look at after Brexit, it's up even more. So, uh, you know, this rebound has been on very, very low volume, which begs the question, like, who's buying? Exactly. It definitely begs the question. And just to give people the accurate statistics, there have actually been net withdrawals of $80 billion from U.S. equity funds so far this year. So, I mean, if you were to think about who's buying – Evidently, I would say is central banks through their implicit actions. And the reason why I say implicit actions is because something huge that happened was that the Fed gave okay to 30 banks uh, to buy back shares. And for sure, I can say that Morgan Stanley will buy three, up to $3.5 billion, B of A will buy $5 billion, <laughs> and Citigroup will buy $8.6 billion back of their shares. That's uh, unreal. And that's a total of $17.1 billion. That is some sort of stimulus. I mean, it's just interesting everything that is going on. It, it, it really well, fascinates right. me, Aaron. It's, it's, either, it's either implicit from the Fed or it's explicit from the likes of the BOJ where they're actually buying ETFs, <laughs> Japanese ETFs, yeah. and putting that on their balance sheet. So we live in some topsy-turvy, bizarro world right now. But, you know, Ricky, what do you want to get on first? I mean, there's a, there's Europe is, is a complete tire fire, it seems like. A, oh, I mean, over God. there we had the Turkish coup. 
which, uh, I mean, I remember when that happened, I, we, we called each other immediately and we're just trying to figure out what this means on a macro level because Europe's already dealing with a migrant crisis, a sluggish economy, um, and, an, and an essential bank that just seems uh, destined and just primed to continue purchasing. I mean, I saw some statistics. I, ECB is basically running out of German bonds to buy. That's right? insane. What is going on there? I mean, you know, Brexit, you know, a lot of people thought that Brexit would be sort of that that kicking off point or the inflection point where it might cause other countries to start thinking about their own exit plans. But all we've seen is just equity markets rally. I mean, we've seen bonds, bond yields go down. Ricky, I know you got some thoughts on that too. I, mean, but I think the, the overall theme of what's happening in Turkey and Brexit, they relate to one thing. And that is basically the disintegration of the euro. I'm not saying that the euro is going to disintegrate next year or the year before. I mean, it could. This world is that crazy right now. But the reason why all these issues matter is because it demonstrates how the central planning that has taken place in Brussels is not working. I mean, Brexit is huge to the extent not only of the short-term economic effects that it had with regards to the equity markets because it creates a precedent for people wanting to leave the European Union. And I think this whole turkey coup, the reason that ties in is because if Turkey goes into some sort of political unrest, which it is, and social unrest, mm -hmm. there's going to be people who will want to migrate from Turkey and guess where they're going to go. They're going to go probably to Europe, especially since you told me recently that Germany was it that guaranteed like a, a certain amount of uh, visas or something you said, Aaron? Yeah, I think it's around 700,000 uh, you know, visas for you know, Turkish citizens. So you can be pretty assured that if there's greater instability there, and I mean, look, this coup, it's very fishy, Ricky. I think it's very fishy and it's questionable whether this was an actual coup. If you, if you dig a little bit deeper and you follow a little bit more closely, there's been this trend towards a power grab from Erdogan, uh, who is the current uh, Turkish president. And right now they're blaming the, the coup on this guy, Gulen, who actually resides in Pennsylvania, oh, wow. um, but who's basically a, po a political opponent of Erdogan's. Uh, and, and they're now asking the United States to basically de deport him and to have him uh, put back in Turkey, which, I mean, if he was brought back there, I'm pretty sure he'd be executed. I mean, that's just my guess. But this is a crazy situation and only stokes the fires of, of what's happening over there. I mean, they've already declared a three-month state of emergency, which allows the government to basically disavow and break all the rules um, that relate to traditional civil liberties. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen there? I mean, they've fired 50,000 employees, state employees, uh, school teachers, deans, judges. I mean, it's it's a literal political purge that is happening in Turkey. So definitely something that you, we need to be keeping our, our, our tabs on uh, because it has direct impact on Europe for sure. No, definitely. And one thing for sure that this whole Turkey situation is going to create is uncertainty, which is very funny. The only thing that's certain is uncertainty, but this is a... Mm an event that will increase the political uncertainty and the geopolitical uncertainty that the world is facing. And even mm. though we are experiencing geopolitical uncertainty, we see equity markets go up, ignore it. And at the same time, <laughs> though, what's interesting, we get signals from the bond market with falling yields, which for me, something that has really puzzled me has been the divergence that has been created from bond yields and equity markets. The reason <laughs> I say that has That's puzzled right. me is because when people buy equities or you see a lot of 
fiat money rushing into equities. That's basically a risk on trade. Investors are saying everything is fine. We actually can bet on these companies to do well. And it's a lot riskier because you're not dependent on, on a bond contract. You're dependent on the profits of firms. And if firms don't do well, well, you won't get uh, the stock returns or that are necessary. Right. In a normal world, the economics are tied to the valuations. <laughs> In a normal world, exactly. So what's interesting is, is that we have – just to keep on going to that point. So when people buy equities, that means like a risk-on positions. When people go to bonds, that means to a risk-off because they're safer and – and they provide an assured payment. Well, I mean, you got to do your analysis and make sure that the person who you're buying the bonds from can actually make their payments. And that's another topic. But uh, generally speaking, bonds are safer than equities. Therefore, when people have a risk on trade, they go to equities. When people have a risk off trade, they go to bonds. But what the interesting thing that is happening now is that we have equities going up, signaling some sort of risk on trade implicitly mm -hmm. if you look at it at first sight. Yeah. And then you have bond yields going down, which means bond prices are going up, signaling some sort of uh, risk off. So right now, I think the market is in a very interesting situation because evidently we have some players who are buying the equities and we have some players who are buying bonds. So yeah. it begs the question, what is going to happen in the future? It's like, you know, there's $10 trillion on black and there's $10 trillion on red and only one, one, one of them can be right who who's right i mean this is like the the biggest tug of war in financial markets right now i mean who knows ricky it may just be central banks on both sides because we do know that they're making the ecb's buying corporate bonds right they already we already know that they buy sovereign bonds and we know that the boj buys etfs so yeah i do ultimately though think there will be some sort of correction though because this like you said the lack of volume behind this upward trend of the market and the fact that in two or so weeks or three weeks or whatever time has been since brexit we've seen the market rally at least the nasdaq 10.31 percent since brexit lows that's ridiculous that yeah. is ridiculous these are returns that people i guess in the past would have dreamed of if it were based on fundamentals but it shows you how crazy these times are so i think the lack of volume and the fact that people our deals are still, are still going down instead of up shows that people are very uncertain. And plus, I recently read an article on Zero Hedge of a, a permable called Tom Lee, if I'm not mistaken, his name. And yeah. he said that he's really scared for the month of August because of all this uncertainty and the things that we're witnessing right now in the markets. Mm. This is not for me to say that the market's going to go higher, but I really do sense a top and I feel some sort of correction until the Fed doesn't come in and provide some sort of easing with their help, it being through quantitative easing, yeah. maintaining rates at where they are, or implying some sort of stimulus. Well, yeah. Ricky, this is why this is why we, we need to pay attention to volume, and volume is important, because it gives you a sense of whether there's any conviction behind the move upward or downward. And this move that we've seen for the past, I mean, it's like a parabolic move, but there's no conviction behind it, it seems. I mean, you could say that a lot of people are on vacation now in the summer, but at the same time, there's there's just no volume to justify this move. And, you know, since Brexit, we've had three terrorist attacks. We, we've had worse economic numbers. Well, we can actually touch on some of the earnings that, that have come out recently. But somehow the S&P still decided, you know what, let's go to all time highs here. <laughs> it, it, no, it, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. And it's at the same time fascinating to watch the insanity that is happening right now. I mean, because if people were to really sit down. And think about the political uncertainty that is developing worldwide. 
I don't think the market would be where it is up right now. If anything, conservatively speaking, it would be trading sideways, you know, but not like, oh, we're reaching record highs, record highs. Yeah, but isn't – okay, but hasn't the S&P been trading sideways for the past year? Albeit in like a larger range. True, true. That is very true. It has been trading sideways. There hasn't been like huge gains. That is very true. And that is in essence based because we haven't received that any new liquidity. When mm -hmm. we receive new liquidity, then the markets can go higher. I mean, think about this. Why wasn't, let's say, the Dow Jones back in 1930s at the levels it is now? The reason is because there wasn't that much base money created, that base sure. currency created. The reason why the market keeps on going up and up and up and up every time if you were to graph it is because of the currency created. So right now I think the markets are reaching a point that if they don't get their dose of heroin, which in this case is currency, they're going to top out. But the thing is when they top out, yeah. then economic fundamentals come to kicking. It's no longer the liquidity kicking in. It's okay. We've got to look at the, at the income statements. We've got to look at our discounted cash flows kind of thing. Yeah, but and, that doesn't, Ricky. That doesn't even matter right now, right? Like Microsoft I, came out with earnings, right? They changed their tax rate. I mean, all this non-gap bullshit. I mean, yeah. dude, you know, I, I um, one of the one of my favorite guys to follow on Twitter, Rudy Habenstein, who was <laughs> the central banker of the Reichsbank during the hyperinflationary period in Germany. It's a hilarious like uh, parody account, and he had this tweet. So yeah, non-gap. I look like George Clooney. It, it's crazy. The 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 kind of financial engineering. I mean, you were talking about Morgan Stanley buying back shares, the financial engineering that they're engaging in, buying back their own shares, reducing the denominator so the EPS looks better. It's, it's, it's I mean, I think history is going to look up, look back at this time, see what they did here with this easy credit, zero interest rates. They're going to look like this is criminal. No, exactly. But my main point that I wanted to say is if you were to take away the equation of anticipation of further easing or these financial engineering, so people would be forced to look at the real fundamentals and evidently the market would go down. That is the main point that I wanted to say. But evidently, people are already expe speculating, oh, we might receive some sort of easing. They're not, there's not going to be for sure four rate hikes this year. In other words, what's happening right now is that people are unfortunately in something that we have mentioned in this podcast. podcast so many times they are trading based on fed policy on based whether or not we're going to get new injections of liquidity on based on whether or not yeah. the fed is going to raise rates or not it's a bizarre world and when you think about what an investment should be and how it should be grounded on reality and you realize that the world is no longer grounded reality you understand that we're gonna one way or another either through a massive correction in the market or through or through a wiping out of the currency we're gonna face horrible consequences so it's just insane now the it, question it, is when I don't know. Yeah, it is insane, and and at the same time though, Ricky, like I think it's it's such an interesting time to be alive, and especially if you're into uh, global macroeconomics, it's it's such an interesting time because as bizarro and as perverse as it is, you basically have a piece of paper, a statement that comes out every every couple of months. You know, this you know, either it's Janet Yellen or Kuroda or Mario Draghi coming out saying a couple of things and moving markets. I mean. There's really never been a better time to to look at the world from a macro perspective, even though the world isn't in that great of a state. But I totally echo what you're saying about ideally, right? When you look at investments, say if you were to invest in, in a business, you're looking at the cash flows. If you want to rent out, if you want to buy a piece of investment real estate, you got to think about the cash flows, right? You got to look at the cash flows, look at the fundamentals of the place, demographics, okay, are the population, are there people here? Is there a school? All these things matter, but none of that matters right now because one, these companies can engage in financial engineering, and two, yeah. they're all just kind of co-moving with, with the rest of the indices, because if the BOJ can buy ETFs, I mean, what's stopping them from buying S and SPY? 
and exactly. then moving everything else up with it. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and this is why I think there is an asset class which will be protected regardless of what happens, and that is the precious metals, the monetary precious metals, which yeah. is why even after the Brexit scenario, gold is still up. It's like it's basically hit a, a new resistance level. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed were to raise rates, which I don't think they will. They were the race rates. Well, that's a, I think that's a that's an interesting question because we'll get back to the precious metals in, yeah. in one second. But okay, so now that equity markets are at all time highs, basically, right? Yeah, I, I know and, where you're going with this. I was well, thinking. you know what I'm you know what I'm going with. No, this, but right? say it. But say it. But say it. <laughs> so recent ex Fed governor uh, Kevin Warsh came out and said that it's not obvious, and I'm quoting here: it's not obvious what their strategy is, and they, meaning the Fed. I know they say they're data dependent. I don't know what exactly that means. I mean, neither do I. And they look to me asset price dependent more than they look economic data dependent. Okay, so let's just take that and hold that for a second. If they are asset price dependent, if they are stock market dependent, and with the stock market at all time highs now, why why wouldn't they raise interest rates right now? That is a very good point. Maybe I mean they could look the BOJ and, and you know next week's actually a huge week. We'll talk about what's coming up next week. But back in January, the BOJ said no, we're not going to do negative interest rates. And what do they do? Immediately afterwards, they instituted negative interest rates. So when they're losing credibility, they're trying to use the element of surprise. So why wouldn't Yellen take a similar play out of their, I guess, their playbook? That's my question. That's what I'm thinking, Ricky. I don't know. Maybe you feel uh, no, no, no. I mean, I, I thought about this too, but I think they could probably use the card the political headwinds or geopolitical headwinds as an excuse as to why not raise rates. Not an admission that the equity markets are doing bad, but they might say, oh, because of geopolitical headwinds, we are not tempted to raise rates. But then again, if they use that narrative, then the market would assimilate it and be like, okay, so there's geopolitical headwinds. So are we properly priced? But then again, <laughs> if they do, <laughs> I'm just saying my thought process out, out loud. Yeah, yeah. Course. If they do raise rates, then the market at first might rally on the fact that the Fed thinks there's good economic conditions, but then we might get January all over again. Are you yeah. talking about – so when you're saying January, like, are you talking about greater deflationary pressures from China? No, I'm just saying the – yeah, I mean that could be, but just in general that the equity markets might go down because of a higher rate of debt, higher cost mm. of debt, and mm. the fact uh, uh, that that might affect. And then the U.S. dollar could go up. Um, because yeah. they raised rates. Mm -hmm. So I think either way, if there will be some sort of correction until the Fed implies really a strong easing. Not saying we're going to remain rates the same, uh, but saying we're going to start doing either negative or we're going to do some sort of QE or we're going to start a new asset program. It's not going to be as aggressive as QE, but you know, because I mean, think about so it. Maybe they'll come up with some new new name for it. Recently, Peter Schiff's like, you know, back in the day when when they came up with Operation Twist, he's like, no, it's not Operation Twist. It's actually Operation Screw. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Because, I mean, if they don't raise rates, if they don't raise rates, yeah. then they might, they need to have an excuse for that. And if they don't, if they have an excuse for that, the market might take that excuse and think whether or not they're properly priced. For instance, well, there are plenty, of, there are plenty of excuses right now. Exactly. Now the question is how the market takes that excuse. If they say, oh, because of the geopolitical headwinds. And the market might look at itself, okay, we're at all-time highs. Are we properly priced at an all-time highs when the Fed is saying there's geopolitical headwinds? You know, Or does the market get ahead of itself and say, okay, the fact there's geopolitical headwinds means that the Fed is going to ease eventually, so I should buy now. Hmm. 
So you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, it all depends on how people take stuff. Interpret, yeah. Interpret it. Because right now we're at the point where bad news could be good news and bad news could be bad news. It all just... But bad news could be bad news and good news could be good news. It's like, it's, it's really, at least in my mind, it's difficult to sort of prognosticate on which direction the market will go. But this, I think this is why it goes back to precious metals. And, and I, you know, you were, you were going on that earlier and I kind of diverted it. If our bias is that the Fed isn't going to raise rates... Yeah. And that they use the excuse of geopolitical headwinds, be they in Turkey or Brexit, then where else would you want to park your, your money or your wealth if you know that these central banks are going to continue this policy of easy credit and easy money? I mean, pressure metals. It's like 12, 12 trillion in global, I think in, in global bonds are like in negative territory. So even in, in bonds, you can't even get a positive yield. So what that implies is that precious metals actually has a positive carry. This metal that does nothing, that just sits there, has a positive carry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we've gone into. I mean, I think right now that's the safest bet. I'm not saying that there can be some short-term volatility, but I don't think we can see some, like, drastic movements in these precious metals. But in the equity markets, you could. In the bond market, you could go to negative. So, I mean, I would, I would go with the precious metals. But I do still see there's going to be some... Some volatility. By volatility, I don't necessarily mean just the markets going down, just mm. up and down, up and down movements. Down, yeah, and, kind of range bound until some serious, like fundamentally changing. I mean, look, <laughs> I think one of the lessons that I learned from Briggs was that we had this market correction, but technically no fundamentals changed, right? Like, it's not like overnight the trade agreements between London, uh, the UK and the European Union disappeared. It just was meant to initiate a process, and yes, there is some uncertainty. But nothing really changed fundamentally now. However, this initiates like a process in other countries that might change the fundamentals, right? So you imagine if Italy starts thinking about exiting and you have the Netherlands that think about exiting. I mean, and then, you, this, and then you have like a random country like Turkey. I'm just saying like a random factor. Uh, yeah. Turkey have a coup, you know, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, something that doesn't change the fundamentals immediately. But the whole process of being in the markets is to try and think ahead, you know, try and be two or three steps ahead of the market. So these political headwinds will eventually manifest themselves into economic and market headwinds. So I, I don't know, I, that, that situation seems to be very precarious. And where else I, I, I want to keep my if, if I have to be in the markets, I'd ra much rather be in gold and silver at this time. That's probably the safest bet. I'm still looking at some sort of correction. I, I do. I'm expecting some sort of correction in the short term. I don't think the market can continuously just go up unless the Fed say, okay, boom, we're easing, guys. Then I'll be out of surprise and it'd be like, okay, the market is going to go up. But yeah. if they don't come out with any form of easing in this next meeting, then mm -hmm. I expect some sort of downturn. I'm not talking about a 20% decline no, or a 10%, but maybe a 5% decline in, yeah. in the market. Because it's just the foundations, even in this crazy cheap money world, are not there. If you got a market based on cheap money, when the cheap money runs out, what do you do? Well, Ricky, how do you feel about technicals? Because you know, I'm obviously watching the markets every day and looking at the, the price of gold in, in U.S. dollars. Well, there's an I, argument to be made whether these prices are even real because there's been some stuff that's come out about price and manipulation in the London bullion market. And whether, you know, I mean, you can cash settle in that market. So do they even have the physical gold to back all those all those transactions? I mean, I think that's questionable. However, if you look at the technicals, it, it, and I'm paying attention to every day, it looks like gold and silver are always catching a bid when you have some kind of big sell-off. Uh, to the point now where it looks like we've even stabilized at 1320. You know, it, it fell to the 1310 level where it was 
where it, I think where it finished, at, you know, on Brexit, uh, yeah. and it hasn't gone lower than that since. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think technically speaking, we are in a bull market in gold because we are seeing higher lows and higher highs. So <laughs> that seems to match the definition of a bull market. Exactly. So yeah. we are in a bull market. So that's why I mean, take advantage of it now. And plus, you have all the conditions for the precious metals to go up. It's just a matter of time of them sparking. You got the political uncertainty and you got the expectation of future easing. I mean, what else do you need? It's just, I think, I think that's the bet to go. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's well, what, that's what I'm looking at. But talking yeah. about the future, what's coming up next week, Mr. Chan? I mean, I know next week Ooh. is going to be huge. Yeah, it's huge. It's going to be oh. huge. <laughs> oh man. Um, by the way, that, that, I don't know, did you watch the videos from the RNC? I saw some. I yeah. saw some. I saw some. I saw. It was interesting. I didn't see his full speech. I didn't. But yeah. I saw Alex Jones and the Young Turks guy go ham. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, oh, this is this is the definition of political theater. We obviously have our own political views, but just watching this, you know, as a Canadian and, and Ricky, you as a Dominican. Actually, you're you're an American citizen, right? I, I am an American citizen. I could vote. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to take a plane and voting, but no, probably. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's been very interesting. But uh, yeah, next week's going to be huge. On Tuesday, we have uh, GDP coming out of the United Kingdom, and actually, this this past week, we had uh, PMI Service Index come out for the UK and. That actually fell into contractionary territory, which is usually uh, analogous of a, of a recession or potentially a recession. So uh, it's going to be a big number coming out. On Wednesday, we have the FOMC. We have Janet Yellen coming out and, and talking. Oh and decision. It's, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to hear what she has to say. Well, I don't find her to be that interesting, but we'll see how the market reacts. Yeah. On Thursday, we have the BOJ, uh, Bank of Japan, coming out with their rate decision. I think the rate decision on, on, thir- on Friday but we, on Friday, we have U.S. GDP and we have European Union GDP. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> next week is going to be just packed full of data. Uh, we have rate decisions from central banks. So it's going to be very, very exciting uh, time for the markets and, and to see how it moves. It's going to be huge. huge. Well, Ricky, you, you know, that's, that's next week. I wanted to ask you, and, and we've, we've kind of talked about this a little bit in the past, but never really like formally discussed it. Maybe uh, going forward with our podcast, we can talk about, you know, at the end, what what's one trade that you're looking at? All right. I am definitely looking at the miners in gold because I think uh, the Fed could come up with some sort of easing. And plus, it's a safe bet, given what we just spoke of, the political uncertainty and the implication or expectation of further easing in the short term. Of course, this is what we're talking about short term. And also, I'm expecting some sort of market correction. I mean, I don't, I don't want to fall into the gambler's fallacy that you just think, oh, it's, it's going to change, it's going to change. But I think just the fundamentals are there due to the fact that we haven't seen any volume yeah. behind this bull market and the fact that we are not getting, per se, the greatest numbers. And if you were to look fundamentally at the earnings, there's a mm-hmm. lot of buybacks and you just got to look at the fundamentals. And you got a lot of geopolitical uncertainty developing that every second now, it's like something new, something new. And it's just a matter of time until the market really digests this whole information. So I'm looking at basically uh, mark some sort of market correction. Nothing huge, but a change in trend, I would say. Not calling a bear market. That's not what I'm calling. And of course, looking at the precious metals. What about you? Interesting. Well, before I get to my, I think you're, you know, you're looking at precious metals miners is interesting because since we had the start of the bear market in 2011 up until basically 2016, I mean, that's weeded out a lot 
of really bad miners, right? Miners that did not have good mines or did not have good cost structures. Yeah. So what you're left what you're left with now are basically the ones that are able to survive that bear market. Yes. So so miners are I, I definitely think that's very interesting. I'm actually looking at AIG and I'm looking at some insurance companies in in terms of shorting them because Here's the thing. Recently, Calsters, which is, I think, one of the biggest pension funds in the world, they came out with their results for the fiscal year, and their returns from their portfolio were, I think, sub 2%. And that was way below their assumed uh, performance of around 7%. And when you think about it, these pension funds have a lot of liabilities that they have to pay out. And with an aging population, these liabilities are only going to increase over time. Now, if we have a situation of increasing liabilities, but decreasing and diminishing returns on their assets. I mean, we have over $12 trillion uh, of, of government bonds that are in the negative territory. What, are you going to go into real estate? Are you going to invest in more venture capital when that's falling too? What are you going to be in? I think for companies that rely on returns from the market, yeah. to, you know, for example, in, in the case of insurance companies where they have to pay their, their, their claims, I don't, I, I'm definitely concerned about their their situation so company so aig is definitely something that i'm looking at and i mean also from a technical perspective i, I like i uh, like this setup because it seems to be uh brushing up against uh its 50-day moving average and it's been trading in a range so gotcha. uh definitely uh looking to potentially short that gotcha so are you implicitly also saying if through your argument that you expect some sort of minor market correction in essence since you said that a lot of them are a lot of the returns are equity driven. So if those equity driven returns dry out, what are they going to do? Is that what you're well, sort of yeah, saying? Yeah, I, I am. But, you know, Ricky, on the other hand, so, you know, I, I do co-host the Macro Voices podcast and, and um, Eric Townsend, the co-host, he has this, he's talking about the crack up boom in U.S. equities. And basically what it means is that other equity markets are basically stinking piles of garbage. If you look at Japanese equities, you look at European equities, uh, Chinese equities, they're all in bearish territory. So the investors are, you have a lot of flight capital that's essentially moving into the United States. Yes, we may have a correction, but I mean, the U.S. is basically, he calls it the, the cleanest towel in a dirty hamper. I mean, I call it the cleanest bed sheet in, you know, in a, in a brothel, basically. I see, I see, I see your point. I see exactly it's like what a, you're it's saying. It's a crack up boom, basically. And yeah. You can see international flight capital coming into the United States, but I don't know how sustainable that is. No, yeah, but that's also assuming that all the flight of capital is going to go into equity markets. Uh, True. That, that's uh, It'd be interesting because I think that's more of a risk on trade uh, as well. It, it could be the case that we see even lower yields and precious metals yeah, go up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think it all depends on the development of geopolitical uncertainty and what the Fed does. So that's yeah. why next week is going to be huge. And definitely for sure people uh, anticipate and look forward to what we're going to do our review at the end of the week next week because it's going to be huge, a bunch of data. Yep. But for, for now, again, if you always have any questions, and please like us, share us, make us famous, uh, say anything you want to say, mean. We don't care. We just want you. There are to no listen. safe spaces here. No safe spaces. We're not about that. And uh, yeah, that's all I have to say, Mr. Chan. Any concluding remarks, or should we just leave it there? No, Rick. I'm really glad we're back to recording. Uh, I mean, we 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 talk a lot in between. Actually, I think we've talked quite a bit in yeah. between the podcast. Oh, actually, Rick, I came down. You didn't even talk about this. I came down for your, your <laughs> right. successful show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, Wait, it's been that long since we recorded the podcast? <laughs> it's been that long. So, um, and I, I know you are planning another big, big event and you're bringing in some pretty big names. So, yeah. uh, maybe we will update the listeners on that next time. All right. So now, everybody, have a great weekend and until next time.